0: Welcome to Macquarie Street, the national political podcast coming to you from the crucible of Australian democracy. Here's your host, Lyle Shelton.
1: Hello and thanks for joining me. It's another packed show this week. I talk to Tom Kenyon about the rebirth of the Family First political party. We look at why Disney's lesbian kiss is light years from parents' values. There's Adam Bant's flag shaming, plus common sense returns to women's sport. All that and more, stick around. It is my hope that young girls all around the world can continue to dream of becoming Olympic and world champions, in a female category prioritising the competitive cornerstone of fairness. That was Australian Olympic gold medalist Kate Campbell addressing the World swimming body FINA in Budapest, Hungary this week, where a landmark decision was made. To save the sport from the intrusion of biological males appropriating female gender. After years of bullying by woke political activists, fairness and common sense is making a return. Several sporting codes have quickly followed swimming's lead and are now also moving to save girls' and women's sport from biological males stealing their opportunities. The International Rugby League and World Athletics look set to follow suit. A pall of fear has lifted. Daily Telegraph sports journalist Paul Kent summed it up well. He said this, Too often now the advocates for this transgender ideology weaponise their words, intimidating those who dare speak against them. They put themselves at risk of being labelled a bigot in a world where where only the accusation needs to be made nowadays. Now anyone involved in the 2017 marriage campaign on the side of man-woman marriage knows that intimidation all too well. Suggestions that transgender political activism would ramp up following the degendering of marriage were met with ridicule by the activists at the time. But five years on, radical rainbow politics has faced its first serious setback as the public has finally woken up to the fact that not all that sails under the rainbow flag is tolerant, fair or about equality. It's certainly not loving of those with a different opinion. Sydney Morning Herald journalist Phil Lutton said this. He said many athletes had simply been too afraid to speak out as they watched biological males, like American swimmer Leah Thomas, crush competitors in his wake. With the floodgates of common sense now sweeping away previously suppressed fear, resulting in football codes also moving to protect women and girls, rainbow activists are hitting back. Same-sex marriage activist Anna Brown never laid down her weapons after winning the marriage plebiscite, but kept a well-funded political machine going called Equality Australia. Its main activity over the last few years has been engaging top-tier law firms to go after Christian schools who simply want to uphold a traditional ethic on marriage and teach the science of gender. Brown this week slammed FINA and Rugby League's decision to protect women and girls, saying banning transgender women set a dangerous precedent. But Paul Kent countered with this. He said, I would argue that the decision allowing transgender women to compete against men is the dangerous precedent. Potentially, it could corrupt women's sport forever. Now, Brown's entire argument had little connection to the reality of sport, which is very different to society's realities. And in an, ins- in an insight into the fear which has paralyzed debate, Kent offered this. Wherever I have asked NRLW players their thoughts on playing against transgender athlete, the response is always the same. Firstly, they blanch, momentarily pausing for words as a dozen ugly headlines swiftly wash across their faces. Thankfully, that fear has lifted and common sense is prevailing. But don't expect the political rainbow activists to go away. The Royal Children's Hospital, which runs a gender clinic prescribing controversial and irreversible treatments on children, said banning transgender women from sport, uh, from women's sport because they have an advantage over biological women was the same, wait for it, as banning tall people because they had a height advantage. I kid you not. Rainbow political activism has relied more on people's fear of being labelled a bigot than logic to achieve its aims those days may be coming to an end.
0: It's time to understand that the history of this country and the symbols that represent the history of this country are very hurtful to the First Nations people of this country.
1: If Australians, regardless of racial, ethnic or religious background, can't unite under our flag, can we really call ourselves a nation? It seems nationhood is the very idea the Greens leader, Adam Bant, is trying to undermine. He said the Australian flag, which Indigenous and non-Indigenous soldiers served and died under, is a symbol of pain and dispossession. At a media conference this week, he was caught intentionally keeping it well out of camera shot, leaving only the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander flags in the frame. This is an insult to all Australians. Bant is a member of the Australian Parliament, His salary, staff, travel and office expenses are funded by the Australian taxpayers the flag represents, yet he despises our flag and wants Australians to feel shame about their nation. That is a recipe for chaos, especially for a nation which, despite its flaws, is one of the freest and most just places on the planet for Indigenous people. The Australian national flag represents our British founding, which, despite its imperfections, treated Indigenous people far better than comparable French, Spanish and Spanish colonisers of their day. Just ask the Congolese what they think of the Belgians. The flag also encapsulates the Southern Cross of the night sky, revered by Indigenous people for millennia. British common law gave all people, black and white, The concept of equality under the law, which led to white men being hanged for killing Aboriginal people at Mile Creek. That was unheard of in colonies ruled by other European nations. British law, culture and the Christian religion also meant Australian society had inbuilt mechanisms to address wrongs of the past and to right them. Something we continue to do to this day. The Mabo land rights judgment, the apology to the stolen generations and generous welfare for disadvantaged indigenous people are all reasons to be proud of Australia and its flag. Freedom and a fair go for all is why people from all over the world will go to extraordinary lengths for a better life here. A nation was always going to be founded on the Australian continent and a flag flown. The Australian national flag is a symbol of freedom, including for Indigenous people who are free to have their own flag and to criticise their government, as we all are. Adam Bant is simply trying to sow discord and delegitimize the concept of modern Australia and our democracy. If our democracy is not legitimate, what replaces it? Bant won't say, but like many on the radical left, anything but our Western inheritance will do. If he really cared about Indigenous people, he would be advocating for an end to the violence against women and sexual abuse of children that is disproportionately affects Indigenous people. With our goodwill and help, that is a problem Indigenous leaders can solve, but no amount of flag shaming can help. Hiding the Australian national flag at a press conference, or spending $25 million to have the Aboriginal flag flown permanently from the Sydney Harbour Bridge, They obscure the real issues blighting indigenous women and children. Modern wokeism says colonialism is one of the great sins of the West against people of colour. But like everything PC, its rules come dripping with okay for me but not for thee hypocrisy. The latest example is Disney Corporation's attempt to indoctrinate Arab and Asian countries with LGBTQ ideology which they find culturally inappropriate. The newly released children's animated film about the adventures of popular space ranger Buzz Lightyear contains a lesbian kiss, promoting some Muslim and Asian countries, sorry, prompting some Muslim and Asian countries to ban the film. Reasonable requests to Disney to edit the scene, which is unnecessary and only serves to normalise rainbow sexuality, have been rejected. Here's what Galen Sussman, one of the producers, had to say. Disney isn't going to modify the material. We're not going to cut out anything, especially something as important as the loving and inspirational relationship
0: that shows Buzz what he's missing by the choices that he's making.
1: Why a children's cartoon is the place to teach little children this is anyone's guess. But it's obviously non-negotiable to the social engineers at Disney. Chris Evans, who voices Buzz, said this. It's great that we're a part of something that's making steps forward in the the social inclusion capacity, but it's it's frustrating that there are still places that, that aren't where they should be. Those places would be countries like Singapore, Indonesia, Qatar, China and Egypt. They would also be the homes of mainstream Western parents who would prefer they help their children navigate issues of sexuality and gender, not a woke corporation by stealth. While Hollywood elites rail against colonialism for inherent racism, they seem to be oblivious to the hypocrisy of seeking to colonise people of colour with sexual and gender-fluid concepts they find offensive in their cultures. And in the last couple of days, it's been revealed that the latest Buzz Lightyear has been a flop at the box office. The old adage is true. Go woke, go broke. Well, there's a lot of excitement about the rebirth of the Family First political party. Never has there been a greater need for a political party to stand candidates at elections all over this nation who will be strong and courageous voices for life, family, freedom and faith. It's a privilege for me to have been recently appointed National Director for Family First and I'm looking forward to the challenge of re-establishing the party all around the country. I caught up during the week with one of the founders of the reborn Family First and now National Chairman, former Labor Minister in the South Australian Parliament, Tom Kenyon. Well, it's absolutely fantastic to have with me the Honourable Tom Kenyon, who's the National Chairman of Family First, just to talk about the rebirth of the Family First political party. Tom is a former Minister for Manufacturing, Innovation, Trade and Small Business. He's also had higher education and training as part of his ministerial portfolios in the Weatherall Labor Government in South Australia. Tom, uh, great to have you with us today. Thanks, It's Great to be here. So, Tom... um, Very interesting that uh, you're a former minister with uh, having held high office uh, in the South Australian government. Uh, I'm someone who's been involved in the conservative side of politics, uh, been a candidate with the National Party up in Queensland. We probably couldn't get polar opposites, but you would find uh, (laughs) yourself in a new values-based party. How does that happen?
0: Uh, it happens because our values are more important than our party allegiances, and I think that's important point to remember. And I think that's becoming increasingly important as, whereas, you know, largely you could say throughout Australia's you know political history that, especially in the last fifty years, you'd you'd say largely that, um, the you know the conservative side of politics was conservative in all areas, so economics and legislatively and social policy, all of those sorts of things. And you know the labour side of politics was um, was largely uh, the opposite of that. You know, less um, less conservative socially and less conservative economically. Now, over time, especially over the last twenty to thirty years since the fall of the great uh, of the Berlin Wall, basically that has changed quite radically. So it's got to the point where just because someone's in the Liberal Party or National Party, there's no guarantee they're a social conservative. And just because someone's in the Labor Party doesn't mean there's any guarantee they're a a social liberal. Um, So, uh, and what that's meant is you've seen this slow deterioration in social policy legislation um, over the last, it's really accelerated in the last 10 years in particular. And you've seen some truly atrocious bills go through all our parliaments, state and federal, and um, and our habit of voting along party lines has uh, allowed that to happen. And so now it's time to break that down, and that's why we've ended up in the same party, I'd say.
1: Yeah, it is fascinating. So just a a bit more about your background then. So how how did you come to Labor politics uh, then, Tom? Obviously, as a fairly young man, you served 12 years in the parliament. What drew you to the Labor side, uh, particularly as someone who is a strong social conservative?
0: Was well at the time um, there was a very strong tradition. So I joined in 1991, um, but I'd been really interested in politics since I was about 10, so 1980, 82, somewhere around there. And mm. Hawke Hawk and Keating, remember, got elected in '83, and and from then on, and I was you know paying attention from then on from about 11, and um, really interested in. I really love politics, and. Um, and so the work that they did, I mean, they were transformative of the country, but they did it in a way, like they really changed the economics, but they did it in a way where there was that safety net. You know, there was Medicare and there was the Accords and there was eventually superannuation, all of these things that made the lives of working-class people better, even as they have changed the economy sometimes to the detriment of those same people. So um, so that, that was really what attracted me to the Labor Party and, you know, I was a big Keating fan, big Hawk fan, um, and so when I was at university, that's when I signed up uh, in the Labor Party and um, worked for a long time, you know, campaigns and everything else before getting elected.
1: Yeah. Now, so, you're someone of, um, of faith um, and, and you presumably came through that um, Catholic uh, right element yeah, exactly. of the uh, South Australian Labor Party, which is quite famous, produced a lot of really fine um, parliamentarians, both state and federal. How formative was that um, group within the Labor Party for you as a young man cutting your political teeth?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It was very formative, like very influential. And when that's, you know, previously to your earlier question just before, I was able to join the Labor Party because I, I was from this strong tradition of, you know, Catholic right wingers who joined the Labor Party, um, especially those who didn't join the DLP in that sort of, you know, the 50s and 60s. Um, but I stayed... You know that stayed in the Labor Party, and and those people were influential in my career. Um, mm. And Don Farrell in, in the State Labor Party here in South Australia, now a senator. Um, uh, but yeah, our minister in, in the government. Albanese
1: government. Um,
0: Correct. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So so those that being part of that tradition meant I fitted in easily into the Labor Party. Mm. Yeah. yeah,
1: and and up until fairly recently, someone like yourself who has a strong, strong pro-life, pro-family ethic, um, that that fitted well into uh, the Labor Party. what What's changed, um, do you think, over, over recent years that have caused someone like yourself then to go, you know, looking to uh, a minor party to express your political um, concerns?
0: Well, I think over time people like me, you know, just left, either lost their seat or retired or, or whatever it was. Um, and weren't, we didn't, if there's a failure on our part, it's that we didn't bring people along in our tradition to join in behind us. Uh, follow along behind us, and um, you know, and now critical error on our part. But um, and so you basically you're strongly pro-life people. There are pro-life people who are sort of quiet about it or not active on it. But for people like me who are strong on it, and and you know that's a big part of why I was in parliament. Um, you sort of isolated a little bit, uh, but I think that's increasingly true of both major parties now. Is that yeah. if you if if that's important to you and you're of that mind, like you and I, then I think you are a little bit isolated in those big You've seen it in Victoria with Bernie Finn now and just basically being yeah. booted from the Libs simply for mm. being pro-life, you know. like Well, well that's
1: right. There's nowhere in, in both sides that Libs or Labor now for, for people who are yeah. outspoken on those values. Tom, you, um, as I said earlier, spent 12 years in Parliament, had a very successful ministerial career. You sadly lost your uh, when Stephen Marshall's government uh, came to power uh, just over four years ago. Um and it was sort of the middle of last year that you and another former Labor Minister, um, Tom, uh, sorry, Jack Snelling, uh, got together and decided to to do something. What was going on that caused you two to to both re-engage in politics and, and, you know, rebirth Family First effectively?
0: Well, it was, it was really spurred on by the, in February last year, 2021, the State Parliament in South Australia passed a bill that allowed abortion up to birth. Um, and joining a lot of other uh, states for that matter. So I think New South Wales, uh, Victoria, um, Queensland all have b- all bills like that now. And that, uh, we, we actually ran quite a good campaign. I was involved in the pro-life campaign in the lead-up to that bill being voted on, and, and we ran a, a genuinely good campaign. With uh, the You know, the, most, the, the pro-life movement was the most united it's been in South Australia for a very long time. Uh, we had, like, I was working side by side with Pentecostals and um, other, you know, Protestant denominations, um, and, and that was not an issue at any point. You know, there was that unity of denominations and unity of purpose, unity of messaging. It was really quite effective. Uh, we know that we were, you know, getting letters to the MPs at a rate of sort of 20 to 1 against. Um, we had 5,000 people turn up in the rain to protest the bill uh, and... A week later in perfect protesting whether they could only get 150 in support and yet the parliament ignored all of that and i've seen them fold for much lesser response rates you know like being um and yet they didn't they felt for some reason they felt they could ignore all of that and and still vote for the bill and so we got thinking why what was it that gave them the confidence to do that regardless of of public outcry, and we realised it was because that vote was being taken for granted that because in, mm-hmm. in the case of Sammy 1st in South Australia, they had always preference the Libs no matter what, um, that, you know, I mentioned abortion and, and opposed abortion in my maiden speech in Parliament when I got elected, and, and I still, and I was, you know, I was leading a lot of these votes against well, a lot of the, you know, the no campaign on the internally in the Parliament when these votes and bills came up. And I could never get preferences from Family First because they were doing a deal with the Libs upper house for lower house mm-hmm. on preferences. And and we just came to the conclusion because the Libs believed their vote was locked in, it, um, they didn't have to listen. Like no one, the, the Labor Party never tried to get that vote and the Liberal Party just took it for granted. And so we had to show that that Christian vote could be moved from the Liberal Party or uh, to the Labor Party, depending on voting record. And that's what we did. Um, yeah. so we reformed and we, we saw that family first was a great vehicle to do that yeah
1: yeah and for, for a lot of um viewers who perhaps aren't aware of the history and i should have mentioned <clears throat> this earlier but family first had has had a hiatus of a few years it merged in about 2016 or 17 Run in conservatives and then of course that necessitated the need to be reformed which is what you guys did and so you stood tom as uh, a, a lead candidate for the upper house and um and, and came very, very close. But as you say, you were able to shape the outcome in certain seats because um, you, you didn't just do predictable preference deals, as as perhaps Family First Mark One may have done from time to time. Just tell our audience about uh, about that strategy and, and and what was achieved in spite of the disappointment of you not getting elected.
0: Yeah. So we what what we set down to do when we when we set out to. Uh... To put this party back together, we, Jack and I were both of the view and later other people that we talked to and, and worked with early on, that the priority had to be shaping the parliament. And because in a, in a, when a social legislation comes up, it's almost always a conscience vote, which means that the, the 47 people in the lower house in South Australia and the 22 in the upper house in South Australia are important, the quality of those people and not which party they came from. So we needed to change the quality of the people, change the people in parliament. Uh, and so the priority was to change the parliament, not to get someone elected. And that gave us a lot of freedom about where to put our preferences. And so what we did was use during that debate on the abortion to birth bill, there was an amendment moved by Liberal Minister David Spears, who was an excellent defender of life. Um, he is now leader of the opposition in, in South Australia. Uh, he moved an amendment that would have prevented abortion up to birth after 23 weeks. And uh, we used the voting record of MPs on that amendment. Um, If they voted for that amendment, then we would preference them. If they voted against that amendment, then we would vote, then we would preference against them. And it didn't matter what party they were from. We just allocated preferences accordingly. And that, um, and that had a, a, a big effect. There was also Family Party. Bob Day re- formed a party called the Family Party, and uh, the One Nation Party were following the same principle in their preference allocation. So it meant there were three parties in mo- in a lot of seats that were preferencing to or from the sitting candidate based on their voting record, and it was tremendously effective um, and, and particularly effective, we think, in two seats in King in the north-eastern suburbs, mm. um, but also probably Gibson in the western suburbs of Adelaide. Yeah.
1: you you coughed a bit of criticism for that strategy. Some people said that, well, you know, two former Labor ministers in yourself and Jack... Um, uh th- that the new family first was some sort of front for the labor party I- i've had people say that to me since i joined now you've explained very clearly i think why that's not the case but but just address yeah. that that criticism because it is a rumor that's being put out there particularly by i think some who um perhaps uh, might be our enemies or want to do mischief to uh, family first
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you can understand why people might come up with that criticism. I mean, because for the first time, the family first was preferencing people in Labour Party candidates away from Liberal Party candidates. But my argument to them was we're trying to change, we're trying to change the, um, the parliament. The people that we have in there where we're preferencing against them are basically no good. Um, we don't lose anything by getting rid of them. And if we get people who are of the same opinion, well, so be it, because they don't have a voting record yet. We'll try and give them a voting record, and in four years, if it's no good, we'll preference against them as well. This, the whole point is to show that that vote is mobile because if we do the same thing and just, so, uh, just preference the Libs over the Labor Party, we'll keep getting the same results. That's the definition of insanity. You do the same thing, get the same results, and expect it to be different. It's never going to happen. So you have to be prepared to take uncomfortable action to change the parliament, and that's what we were trying to do. Now, the, you know, the proof of the pudding will be that we consistently maintain this line on voting record over a period of time and a number of elections. And if we do that, well, then we're not Labour stooges. And if we just keep preferencing the Labour Party regardless of voting record, then we are Labour stooges. But yeah, you know, yeah. we're not. We're not going to do that. Like, we're not going to no, do it's
1: that easily. Rebuttal, yeah. as you say, you've um, yeah. you've very positively influenced the outcome of the. Um, South Australian Parliament, even to the point where they have uh, put in place a very conservative or a more conservative uh, leader in David Spears. So that's a terrific outcome, which may not have happened had not Family First have uh, been active in this election.
0: Well, it de- definitely wouldn't have happened because Marshall well, may have won. Stephen Marshall, the Liberal Premier at the time, may have still won. Um, and, and the fact of the matter is, even though he's not a lot more conservative, Peter Malinowskis is actually more conservative than the former Liberal leader was, the Premier. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, it's not. I mean, Peter Malinowskis from the Labor Party voted for the Spears Amendment to prevent um, yep. abortion to birth. Stephen Marshall from the Liberal Party and Premier voted against the Marshall, uh, against that Spears Amendment and voted in favour of abortion to birth. So, yep. tell tell me how the Liberal Party is better, A- and people yeah. can't. It's just that they're so it's so burned into them that they it's hard to make that step. And I accept that. Right. But that step has to be made. You have to vote and preference people according to their voting record, not which party they're from.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I think that there's a a big wake up call that's slowly starting to occur amongst a lot of uh, Christian people, people of other faiths, uh, people who are just social conservatives and realizing that the, the Liberal Party very much has let us in. I mean, we saw Scott Morrison himself, supposedly, well, he is a Pentecostal Christian, but putting out letters where he endorsed. Uh, abortion to birth and, and signed the bottom of it so i think you know these sort of things have shocked a lot of people to realize the libs are, are like this and let's just go to the next point that um you know this is the wire of a, a family first um you know people are concerned that there's a lot of micro parties out there. there's a lot of fracturing on on the center right but um there's a need for uh strong minor parties developing Um, And I guess it's going to take a while for the dust to settle. How do you sort of address that concern about the fragmentation and and give people a sense of the why Family First is the the vehicle uh, on on this side of politics for people to get behind?
0: Michelle, I think um, the answer to the fragmentation is slow consolidation. I think it's sort of the nature of the right. Um, that we're a little bit more individualistic, we're a little bit more prepared to, well, I don't like this, so I'll go and do my own. Like, you know, <laughs> that's um, you know that, that's, a, a, that's sort of a trait of, of the right really and, and what that means is over time we have lost to the left because they are disciplined and they will air their differences, they'll argue out their differences, but they make a decision and lock in and that means over time they are defeating us We are losing and we need to do the same thing. We need to, you know, discuss our differences but in the end lock in behind a situation and exert some discipline instead of um, believing ourselves to be wiser than everybody else and and going off and doing it. And that that discipline to put an idea above your own personal ambition or your own personal thought about how things should work is what makes political parties and groups successful over time, and and so I think that um, you know the first the first step is for these parties, such as you know One Nation and um, UAP and others, the freedom parties that you see around the place, is for us to preference each other ahead of. Anyone else yeah. as a group, and if we can start to do that, we'll start to win seats and start to have a lot more influence. Um, why I think is Family First is the the best of those groups is because I think, to be honest, I think um, uh, we've got a we've got a broader philosophy behind us. You know, it's it's in many ways because of that. You, you know, it's coming, you know, there's, we get a lot of attacks because we've, you know. Um, we're not a Christian party, but we are, we are, you know, a party of Christians and there's this, you know, a view that that's a damaging thing. It, I don't think it is. I, gives, I think it gives us a, a, a philosophical base to explain why we do what we do and why we say what we say and why we believe what we believe. And so those sort of Judeo-Christian principles over time um, will allow us to be coherent in our policy and to start to attract people together and to start to... Uh, and start to give people a, an idea to, to organize around. I mean, the most, the most powerful thing in politics is an organizing idea, something that, you know, the Labour Party has had it with benefiting the working class it's for over a hundred years. The Liberal Party has had it, you know, with, uh, you know, from since Menzies with, um, this idea of, um, the forgotten people and looking after small business and everything else, small government. Now, I think there's an internal struggle inside the, the just this big philosophical debate inside the Liberal Party, but it's also one going on in the Labor Party at the same time, yeah. um, and and often those things are brought about by the existence of minor parties. Yeah. So you know the the Labor Party has been dragged to the left by the Greens over time, yeah. um, and and now because, you know it's almost like the absence of a strong center right minor parties has allowed the left, you know, it means that the Liberal Party hasn't been anchored and has been dragged to the left as well. So, you know, we need to, you know, we can play a, a really important role in the body politic um, by being that anchor that holds the Liberal Party just, you know, right of centre or slightly right of centre. Um, yeah, and, and hopefully even drags the, the Labor Party a bit more back to the yeah, centre as well. well the, the whole correct. Politics, That's right. Yeah. You know, Yeah, and and that's why (laughs) being prepared to preference the Labor Party in the appropriate people at the appropriate time is important. You know? Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, well, Tom, I know that when I um, saw the news in the middle of last year that Family First was reforming, and, and as someone who'd been involved in uh, the Australian Conservatives movement, uh, that that was now defunct. And look, I think we've all been disappointed at the chopping and changing, but it's great to see Family First back. It's great to see people of your and Jack's caliber, uh, as well as others who were involved twenty years ago in Family First, get the band back together. In one sense, and uh, I know that your viewers were here for the long term, and uh, I'm really delighted to be a part of it and I really hope everyone who's watching uh, this broadcast and who watches the podcast uh, gets a sense of the excitement of the possibilities that lay ahead for us we're off to Victoria next uh, Victorian election um, uh, and then uh, you know slowly reforming right around the nation so looking forward to getting everyone involved and uh, getting getting back together and getting this movement really strong again so I just encourage people to go to familyfirstparty.org.au and you can uh, become a supporter there. Uh, sign up, receive our material. But uh, Tom Kenyon, chairman of national chairman of Family First Australia, thank you so much for being
0: with us today. Well, thank you, Lyla. And if you live in Victoria, join while you're on the website. Join the party. We can really help yeah, you. Sure. Your help in the membership. Yeah, important messages. Thanks,
1: Membership, great stuff. Thanks, Tom. Well that's it for another episode. Don't forget if you live in Victoria go to familyfirstparty.org.au and sign up to become a member. We're racing against the clock to have the party registered in time for us to compete at the upcoming Victorian election. Thanks to Dave and Aidan at The Good Source News for editing and production. And thank you for your company again this week on Macquarie Street. Until next week, goodbye.